Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddow and what a joy it is to have you with us today. Now, if you're feeling generous and you want to tell the world about how much you love this little podcast, then please do take 30 seconds or so to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Or better still, write a little review because we love to spread the gospel of Book Off. But that's quite enough admin for now because sat before me eagerly awaiting are two fabulous writers who'll be going head-to-head in a war of the words a little later on. My first guest was born in Washington, D.C. and grew up in the U.S., Kenya, Madagascar, Yemen and Morocco. She studied English at Oxford and later completed a creative writing master's at the University of East Anglia. She's the award-winning author of The Last House on Needless Street and Sundial and many others, and she's here to tell us about her latest novel, Looking Glass Sound. It's Catriona Ward. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. An absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, And my second guest is the bassist and founder member of Suede, one of my favourite bands, as listeners will know. He's also composed music for film and TV and worked as a culture journalist in the noughties, writing about art and travel for various newspapers and magazines. Here to tell us about the Ghost Theatre, it's Matt Osman. Hello. Hello. What an absolute pleasure to have you both in the studio, in person, IRL, as they say. <laughs> um, and you two know each other. I don't really need to do an introduction because you're mates, aren't you? Yeah. We do We do know each other, yeah. I interviewed Kat um, about the time of, was it the time of Little Eve? I think it was Little Eve, yeah. So yeah. Was, what, 2019? So, but weirdly, I and mean, we've spoken a lot since then because I, I love her work. Um, but we haven't seen each other, I think, since since the book launch for that. I think that's right. So, um, oh. yeah. yeah. So this is a nice reunion. It, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's, very, it's very strange. It's, it's one of those things, you know, I see your social media and stuff mm. as you travel all around the world and do, do glamorous things. And as do you, yeah. And, um, but here we are, in real life. In real life. I yeah. think that's quite common for writers, though. To be to have these quite you know sort of online and 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 sort of epistolary friendships, you know. Well, I was really disappointed because because my first book came out just before lockdown. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd heard good things about literary festivals. That yeah. it was going to be fun. There was going to be a lot of drinking and bitching about other authors, all of which I enjoy. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, I didn't. And I didn't, didn't get to do it. I didn't see any of it, so I have no idea really yeah. what it's like. I don't. I don't actually know. I know about three authors in the entire world, but that's partly because of lockdown, because the book came out and never met anyone. Because it came right at the start of 2022, I think, mm. ruins, didn't it, as I remember. 
Um, so that means this year, then, surely, Matt, you're going to be able to go to all the literary gubbins that's happening. Well, hopefully. The only problem is that they kind of they're at the same time as music festivals. Yes, and that's and, true. And and music festivals pay hundreds of thousands of pounds, and literary festivals, you know, get you Don't. a bit, get yeah. you a B and B. So we'll see. Hopefully, I hopefully hope so. there won't be too many clashes then. Yeah. Um, no. And on music, if I may, can I just say huge congrats on Autofiction. What an absolutely astonishing oh, thank you. album. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one of the best of last year. And I've, I've Yeah, we're, we're, we're so pleased. Yeah, it's just got a great, great reviews all around, isn't it? Um, and I loved it. And of course, we're recording this quite early uh, in terms of when it will actually go out um, for the listening ears because you're off on tour. So by the time this goes out, you'll actually have been on tour and been back, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. touring through March, yeah, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to talk about your fabulous new novels. We're going to talk about your writing, what you've been reading and enjoying recently. And of course, we will do the book off where you get three minutes each to pitch as a book that you love, that you think we should all read. And you'll be telling us why. We'll find out what those are later. Um, Kat, if I could talk to you first about Looking Glass Sound um, and actually a question more about all of your books. Mm. What comes first normally? Is it the plot? Is it a character? Is it a small idea? Is it a title? Well, I think it obviously varies a little bit between book to book, but what I do find I start with um, is I don't like the word twist because I think it implies you're doing something to the reader. Mm. <laughs> I like the word reveal because what it should do, ideally, in a perfect world, is it should reveal the world of the book as it is um, instead of um, playing some kind of um, some kind of mind game. So I usually start with with that actually, and um, everything else kind of revolves around that. Um, I, it's, I quite often I see it sort of like a map, as in you've got several places you're going to visit along the way. You have no idea how. Uh, or when you're going to get there, um, and you know we are going to finish up. Mm. And I think um, there's something very lifelike and very um, true to one's lived experience about the reveal, because you know we we don't get all of those securities of fiction in life. We don't have an omniscient narrator telling us what information is important and what what matters and and who's good and who's bad. We just blindly stumble on with impartial information, <laughs> yes. bad knowledge, and and suddenly quite often the rug is pulled out from under us. So I think that reveal, it, sort of, it feels very authentic to me. Yeah. So I usually start with that. Right, I see, OK. Um, and in Looking, Looking Glass Sound, I think, probably has the most ambitious reveal I've tried in a while. Uh -huh. and it was a nightmare. <laughs> that, that's saying something. No, it really is. And um, it was a nightmare to write. I wanted to tear my own arm <laughs> off and beat myself to death with it every morning rather than sit down and write this book. But I did, I did. And I, <laughs> we, just gonna, we hope it worked out. I spoke to an author called Emma Flint recently. Oh, I love her, yeah. Yeah, her second book's uh, just coming out, Other Women, and she said it, it was 20 drafts and at one point on, I think, New Year's Eve before she was meant to be at a party, she finally just put everything in the right order and it yeah. all just sort of came together. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, see, my reaction is only 20. Yeah, right, right. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this, is this is terrifying to me. I actually, I could have started as an author much, much earlier, but a friend of mine, um, Tarek Goddard, who's a writer, I asked him, you know, what do you do when you're kind of, you know, 50,000 words in yeah. and you're like, this is absolute rubbish. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, yeah. no one will ever be interested in this. <laughs> yeah. and, and he said, oh, I never find that. 
I always think it's great all the way through. God, oh. And it really put me off for the simple reason that I, I knew that I would be full of, of downs yeah, and I've yeah. down all the way all the way through it. And it was only later, once I finally you know, spoke to some other authors, I realised he's the odd one. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that's right. In, in fact, I think if you think you're doing it right, that's when you should be worried, in a way. If, you're, if you wake up every morning with a, cr- a sort of chasm of self-doubt before you, that you're, that you're probably all right. <laughs> oh, fantastic. No, 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 really, really. <laughs> that's very good to know. That's Kat. great yeah. to know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because, of course, this, so this is your, uh, the difficult second album then, Matt. This is yeah. your second novel. Yeah. How did you find coming to you know writing this one compared with with the ruins which obviously i guess was just the first thing that you'd written i i found it a lot easier i think just because i i knew my own flaws okay you know what i mean with, with the ruins i wrote kind of like 200,000 mm. words and made it 120,000 words yeah and with this one i kind of did the same you know i i can't I can't plot it all out in my head and then and then make it work. I have to put it down on the page. Mm-hmm. But the thing that was good was that that having written one, that idea that I might have to write a ton of stuff that doesn't get used. Yeah. It's not really a problem, is it? No, yeah. I, I think of it it's all backstory mm. or it's all all about like knowing the world better than the reader does and all those kind of things. Right. So I I found it I I found it a lot a lot easier, I think. Yeah, not a hellish experience like cats around here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, I mean, full of doubt. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm constantly, and and I think I think cats totally right. I'm constantly like, this just isn't very good. Yes, I think that's really common. And actually, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, maybe it isn't. And I only figure out what the book is about in the probably in the last week of writing it. I go, oh, this, this is this is the meaning of this. This is like the. Do you not find? I, mean, I find this with music all the time. Yeah. We very rarely know what an album's about until right. until we talk to people about it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because oh, interesting. Especially with records, they mean. Because they're so emotional, they mean different things to different yeah. people, and, and yeah. they dredge up different things in people. And quite often with the records, what happens is we do a really good interview at the start with someone really smart, mm. and just crib everything. Yeah. There and just kind of <laughs> yes. like, oh, right, that's that's what. Okay, so yeah, it's about identity. Of course, it's about identity. You know? <laughs> yeah, helpful. Yeah, doesn't it? It's sort of, it must be the same with music as with books in the way that you only write half. Like I only write half the book. It's the reader who brings the other half. I think with music, it's it, it's even more. So. Is it? Do you think? I think I think it really is. You never know. When I think of, of records that, that really matter to me, um, that they're so often tied up in in in, in times and things that happened yeah. at the time that they're never going to mean the same thing as, as someone else yeah. to you know. There's records that 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 were kind of shields for me when 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 things were bad. That's interesting. And they're not necessarily lyrically. It's just the feel of them is is kind of makes you feel kind of bulletproof. It's sort of that's so interesting. I always think looking reading an old book of mine, which I occasionally have to do. I, mean, I avoid it whenever possible, but <laughs> what occasionally have to do. It reminds me of like it's a bit like looking at a of, at a photograph of yourself as a child. Mm-hmm. It's this snapshot of who you were once, and it can be quite nostalgic and moving, but also sometimes you know brings up you know the difficulties or the the less you know the less positive aspects oh yeah of time. i mean you you suddenly realize things you're trying to work through right, in yeah. your writing you yeah. know what i mean that, that seem 
suddenly seem really, really plain to you. And then yeah. you're like, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> That's why I was I was asking that question. Yeah. But interesting, with, with music and books, with albums and books, uh, I know that I've had conversations with friends and various people where at the time of that book coming out or that album coming out, we were in different places and therefore we both... Yeah. You know, have a connection to said book or album, but, but I might love it because I, you know, it was mm, the of summer course, of yeah. my youth and they might be like, well, that, no, I, I love it because that was the year I just, you know, was in my bedroom for, you know, six months and just. And, yeah. and there's tons of things that, 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 you know, I kind of loved when I was a teenager that I look back on and, and I, I don't particularly like now, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of like Kerouac and things like right. that. Right, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. That's a good example. You know, yeah. The, yeah. The, and the, the, probably the musical equivalent is The Doors, both of which I loved at like 15. Yeah. And now I kind of look back on it and, you know, it's, I'm basically putting on airs, you know. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I completely agree with that as well. And there'd be a, everyone would have a list of those, I think, wouldn't they? From... Yeah, everything has its season, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, everything has something which, which calls to you, particularly, you know, those adolescent tastes can be quite yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite, yeah. Quite particular. But very powerful at oh, the time. Oh, at the yeah. time, overwhelmingly <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Kat, you take us to New England in this new book. You, you take mm. us to Maine. I do. Um, what drew you to that setting? Well, it's, I mean, it's Stephen King country, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Um, and I it, love it up there, personally. I, don't, I, I mean, I Oh, have you been? Yeah. Oh, how did, what season did you go in? Because this is interesting. Very good question. And as a complete clang, because I feel it's relevant, um, I interviewed Stephen King while I was there. Oh, so it's amazing. my trip there is possibly, um, <laughs> you know... Uh, it, coloured by the yeah, Stephen coloured by the fact of it all. That I yeah, did yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I went in August because uh, a very good friend of ours was getting married ah. in August. Brooklyn, and then after a couple of nights in Brooklyn, we thought, let's go up. We haven't yeah, done it yeah, before, yeah. so we went up the coast um, and stayed in the height of summer. Wow. So I went at the end of November. Ooh. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. It's very different. <laughs> it was brutal. But in a way, I, I think it was the best time to go because um, you, there was none of the usual... like. It was not dressed up in its best clothes. Mm. All the trees were bare. It was bitterly, bitterly, bitterly cold. Um, almost everything was closed. Um, but uh, the light was so brilliant. It has, I think, even further north up up there where we were than you are in Toronto. Mm -hmm. You've got this like amazing, almost arctic light on mm. on the sea. Unbelievably beautiful, bleak and barren. And um, it really, it made a great impression on me. Also, the great relief um, to discover, because I'd written, I think, almost half the book by then, that everything that I'd guessed was correct. <laughs> so I didn't have to go back and rewrite. <laughs> Turn up there and it's full of palm trees and llamas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or even just, because it's the first time I've used a real place in my writing. Mm. So that was kind of nerve-wracking as well. So we went... But you'd chosen it before you'd been, though. I chose it before before I'd been, yeah. yes, because I, because it's, it had several characteristics I needed. Um, and it has also this most beautiful name, which is Castine, um, which mm. I think is a great name mm. for her. Um, but, you know, it's so, you know, you, you want to keep be careful and get, get it right for both reasons. One is it's so well known as an imaginative landscape for readers of Stephen King. And also because it is a real place and... Um, you know, it's fact checkable, but um, I, I found it really, I found it really, really sort of surreal, Go very ghostly, even in broad daylight, just par partly because everything was so, so bleak and and it looked like a, a land that was dead and mm -hmm. waiting for spring. You know. Yeah, that's so interesting. Have you have you been up that way? Have I have. I mean, we've 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 played up that way. We played in Rhode Island many years yes. ago, oh, which yeah, was yeah. genuinely 
the coldest place I've ever been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, when you said November, I, I can entirely see it. <laughs> and I've been there, and I've been there in kind of like Cape Cod and places like yeah. that and Montauk. So I've got a kind of a, a kind of sense of it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I and having seen it myself in it's... the bright, beautiful sunshine, yeah. thinking about it now, I'm like, oh yeah, actually, in the sort of dead of winter, in in that no bleak November bleakness, actually, it probably would be quite, oh, you know, because it's all. Um, lobster and sitting out on the deck in That's the summer yeah. but I, yeah once all those shutters shut for, yeah, the, for we, the winter we had to drive I think I think we had to drive for an hour to find something that was open to get a bite to eat and it's just you know but all of that sort of fed into this kind of this like um, bleak isolation of it all it mm. felt rather it felt, it felt rather wonderful and for your latest novel Matt you've You've chosen Elizabethan London. Yeah. And I wondered where, if that was always going to be the setting or what, what sort of brought that on? Because I know a lot of writers who are quite obsessed, maybe not the right word, but who love that period. I'm, uh, I don't know anything about it. I, I have to admit, I really don't. I've got, um, I didn't study history or anything like that. It's, it, it was one of those ideas that I think often happen, uh, a good idea that came out of a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I had this. I, I had this idea that I wanted to write, basically, the story of, of the Sex Pistols, but set it in the past. I just had this idea; it would be really interesting to see what the equivalent of kind of like punk in in Victorian times or Edwardian times or, or any of these times would be. And I mentioned it to a couple of people, all of whom just went, "Oh." <laughs> God, that's so, so such a bad idea. Um, and then, then I saw a documentary on on a court case in 1601 involving one of the Blackfriars boys, uh, a child who was kidnapped from from quite a noble family to appear on the stage to to sing for the yeah. Queen and and appear in these masks, um, which was perfectly legal, and. I started becoming fascinated with 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 these child actors because they they were in such a, a strange place mm. they were they were actually intensely famous yeah. you know this is a period where the theater is is the biggest of all mass media two thirds of Londoners went to the theater mm. um there were like four or five theaters at one time, so they were intensely as well known as you could be without being royal. Right. Definitely as well known as you could be and, and be of ordinary stock. Um, but at the same time, they were really the lowest of the low. Mm-hmm. You know, actors in those, in those times, the, the, there was no respect for them. They were on a level with, with whores and street sweepers mm-hmm. and everything like that. Um, and it just, it just set my senses kind of jingling just the idea of it. It kept making me think of, of, of kind of like those um, kind of boy bands and girl bands put together in the 90s and, and the noughties and this, this weird mix of absolute adoration and fame but no agency whatsoever. Mm. Someone taking all the money, someone mm. taking all the plaudits, all that kind of thing. And it, it just started from then. And I, I, I love writing about London because it's just... It's just, it's always intensely Endlessly fascinating, isn't it? Um, and I just found a really good map from that time. And, and just, it just all went off from then. And I just kind of, I just walked the characters around London and yeah. saw what happened. I always find um, thinking about Jerwood Street specifically fascinating because Jerwood Street is now this 
you know, it's just off um, St. James Square and it's sort of right in that Piccadilly stretch and it's a really lovely street. Yeah. It's got designer clothes and tailors on it now, but... German Street. Yeah, what did I say? Jerwood. <laughs> You're German thinking, Street. You're thinking, yeah. of, you're thinking of Jedwood. Jer- I'm thinking of the Jerwood Theatre and yeah. Jedwood yes. who were put together <laughs> in the 90s. Oh, that's amazing. Sorry, yes. That's an amazing Thank you. Point. German yeah. Street is what I'm thinking of. Um, and to think back to uh, a time when that street, you know, in Elizabethan London was just awful. You know, mm-hmm. it was like you'd get mugged and stabbed and there's people doing various things on the side of the... And it's just... I just love that, thinking back to those times and go, God, how how different one's perspective is on on those things. What I think thought the book did so well, though, was it caught exactly that sense of disempowerment and, you know, and coercion that's involved in in the theatre in that particular, in that particular, like, group of people, but also that you still manage that magic and there's that joy of performance and the joy of of like of making art i think well i'm i'm always interested in the idea of performance um yeah. as i get older and performing in a in a way seems stranger yeah you know what i mean yeah. throwing yourself around at, at 55 <laughs> is very different from, from from a 25 i'm more and more interested in in what it is i'm actually doing Mm. And what it is yeah. that actors are doing, and yeah. one one of the one of the, the the inspirations for the book was was the autobiography of um, of Kirsten Hirsch. Oh yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, she's incredible. She's she, she sang with a band called The Throwing Muses, okay. um, and now she makes music on her own. She's uh, bipolar, I think. She took, had has a very interesting way of looking at things, but um, for the first kind of like twenty gigs she did, she doesn't remember a moment of it. That's that's interesting. I wouldn't. I, that doesn't surprise me as much as it, sh- as it should. Maybe mm. now, for me, yeah. I find that incredible because those are the moments I remember. Right, right. You know, right. you're you're entirely in in the moment. I, I can remember kind of how various yeah. stages looked and crowns and stuff mm. like right, that. Right, right. She doesn't remember any of it, wow. and she would literally she'd step off stage and, and ask the question that Shay asked in in the book. Yeah. What did I do? <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what did I say? Um, and that fascinated me. The idea that that the who you are on stage yeah. is this this thing that you can't tap into mm-hmm. and one of the things that that I work quite hard at and I think your books were quite an inspiration for this was find was finding a way of hinting at magic yeah. hinting at the supernatural mm. but w- without the get out of a supernatural explanation right. Yeah. And one of the things I love about Needless Street is it feels quite a lot of the way through that, that there's something supernatural going yeah. on. Mm. But you're really, really careful to make sure there are ways of, of coming at it yeah. which are all uh, you know, real-world explanations. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I always think this... Because, people, because I write a lot of ghost stories, people mm. often ask me, do I believe in ghosts? And the answer is I don't think I do, but I don't think that matters. I believe <laughs> in the experience of people mm. seeing ghosts and that's what that's mm. really the... That's the power of it. It doesn't re- reality. Reality can be so subjective to, for different people. It doesn't really matter what my particular opinion is on something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that sense of something treading around lightly outside the limits of our own experience mm. has dogged us ever since there have been people. So, you know, th- what what really matters is, I, you know, that belief that people 
experience those things. You know, yeah. my opinion is not really that important. <laughs> it's true. But it's so interesting you saying that, Matt, about the supernatural sort of elements to both mm. of your books and, and your writing. It's it, This is what I get. It's just... As a reader, I felt it's sort of there. Yeah. You know, it's sat over there behind my shoulder, and I'm not quite, can't just sort of put my finger on it, but it is there in a sort of foreboding y kind of way. Its presence is known, but you haven't explicitly sort of painted it on. Well, one of, one of the reasons I loved writing about that era is it's, it's, it's when it's when kind of like, like magic and science mm-hmm. were, were entirely tied up with yes. each other. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the reason why, yeah. why, why Dr. John Dee appears in the book. Yeah. Because he was, you know, like one of the preeminent scientists of the age, um, but he thought he spoke with angels, yeah. and you know, he was he was an alchemist, mm. um, and those things they weren't yet in opposition. You know, yeah. we're just before the Enlightenment, we're just before the kind of the this the schism between the two of them, and that's that's fascinating to me. You know, and and it's. It's almost like when we were talking about before about a book or a record isn't complete until until it has an audience yeah. and they bring something to it. One of the ideas I liked about having someone um, turning fortunes through 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 the birds is mm. is just this idea that it's the audience who decide right. whether whether she's told the future or not. I mean, she never says anything mm. that 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 she couldn't know. It, it's not like that, but the audience takes mm. that. Yes, and I, I think it's the same thing as ghosts. If mm. if you believe in magic, then then magic happens. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Completely agree. Um, just set up the story for us a bit. We don't do any spoilers on this podcast because obviously, <laughs> and and there will be people listening who think oh, I've got to get these books, and you should because I can tell you they're both brilliant. Um, just introduce us to this troop of players and just set up the story for us, man. Well, it's, a, it's a pretty simple story. It's, a, it's about a, a, um, a group of, of child actors who work at the Blackfriars Theatre, which is a real place, and, and the, the theatre owner, Evans, was a real person, um, who decide to set up a kind of guerrilla theatre company. Um, and they start putting on these quite kind of magical, hallucinatory plays in, in taverns and in strange corners of London. Um and because they're talking about real life, they they kind of charge up a group of uh, apprentices mm. who, who mm. in real life were always rioting in in London, um, and they become a kind of threat to uh, to power structures, um, and and it's about how far they can push it and how the world pushes back against that kind of thing. So that's what it is. And it's about two characters, about a, an actor called Nonsuch and about uh, a bird worshipper called called Shay, who's... It was originally just about, about Nonsuch. It was mm. called Nonsuch. Okay. Oh, right. Um, and then I needed a, a kind of character to come in and see it with fresh eyes. And then she just kind of... I fell in love with her a little yeah. bit and just <laughs> wanted to keep on writing her. I love it when a character is like a secondary or third thirdary character is just sat there, and then you, they won't leave they, you alone, yeah. and you think, "Oh, they've got to have a bigger part." Yeah, well, she's a great character. There's also some great reve- reveals at the end of mm. that. You've got a couple of quite blinding, oh, well, <laughs> quite I, blinding ones. Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's interesting what you say about a twist because because mm. you're entirely right. Because if it twists the story, yeah. then it's no good. You know what I mean? And then then it's a gimmick. 
It's an, a, a good one. It's an untwist. Isn't yes, it? an unfolding. Yeah. All the kinks yeah. in the book, you can, yeah, kind yeah. of go. Oh, <laughs> yes. right. Yeah. I mean, the the thing about a really good twist is, you shouldn't go. I n I never would have expected that. Yeah. Mm. You go. I should have seen. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only possible way it could have ended in retrospect. Yeah. But you just didn't see it at the time. I was so in I loved the bird, the bird the worship though. I thought that was absolutely wonderful. Well, it just it came from a, from a, a a conversation on on a tour bus once, which was yeah. why are there no religions that worship birds? Yeah. They they seem eminently worshipable. Yeah. Very much to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean you write a lot about about animal characters and yes. and and sometimes write from the point of view of an animal, <laughs> which I think is incredibly hard to do. Is is there a reason for that? Well, why do you come at it that way? It's oh god! I mean, I didn't realise I was doing it um, until <laughs> until um until, until um my my editor said no more animals, and I just said what? What do you mean? She said you do them every time. I think it's you know these. I think I write a lot about. Um, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma in the books, and there's yeah. a lot of there's quite there's some discussions of, of of like power inequalities and and you know abuse of that power, and I think it always um, lights up the same centres in my brain of because um, not many of the, these animals fare well mm. um, in the books, and it always lights up the same centres in my brain as it does, you know, people being cruel to mm -hmm. either to people or to animals. And I think there's there's sort of different colours of the same thing. Um, speaking of Stephen King, I should no, I will say actually, I, it doesn't matter. I can do a boast. Um, of course you can. <laughs> boast away. Boast away. So uh, in here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Needle Street, as um, there's obviously the cat, little black cat called Olivia. And Stephen King was very kind about that book. Um, and then if, have you read his most recent one, Fairy Tale? No, I haven't actually. In Fairy Tale, there's a little black cat called Katrina. No <laughs> way. Yep. Oh, that's very cool. It's so cool. Oh, that is good, isn't it? I read it. My partner was asleep and, and I was reading it. It was about three in the morning. I couldn't stop reading it. And I came across it and I was screaming. I woke him up and he was like... I said, is this it? And he said, I'm sure it's fine. Just go back to sleep. So I had to, I paced around downstairs for about three hours waiting for him to wake up so I could talk to him about it. But yeah, it was, that's a, that was a big, oh, that, big moment I... actually. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And it's also because I always put a, a Stephen King Easter egg in each book I write. And I started doing it well before I knew that there was any chance uh -huh. that he ever might yeah. read them. And so when I, and so when I saw that, I thought, are we just having the slowest conversation in the world? Wow, that's like, so great. A little bit in each book. A tiny, yeah, yeah, just talking to each other very slowly through novels. Um, I, I have to say, because I always forget about this story, that there's an incredible Michelle Faber story in one of the short story things, mm. which is about an author who's, um, who's been writing about these kind of anthropomorphised yeah. animals, and it's, it's all very sweet and very twee. And then she retires and she comes back with this book and no one will publish yeah. it. And it's a book written from the point of view of a cat, yeah. but it's not anthropomorphized at all. So the dialogue is just kind of like mouse there, mouse there, there's mouse there, <laughs> wait, we'll eat, mouse there, mouse there. I love it's, it. It's wow. absolutely incredible. It's I really, it. it's, there's something really kind of... Do you remember what it's called? I can't remember yeah, what yeah, it's called. I'm sure some, it's some... It's sort of hypnotic or... Oh, oh it's incredible. absolutely yeah. brilliant. And, and, and the writer character is, is, you know, she goes 
slight nuts. It's a, it's a brilliant short story. Some of his short stories are incredible. Oh, wow. Amazing. That does sound good. And we're going to ask you what you've been reading and enjoying uh, recently mm. in, in just a moment. Um, but we should ask about uh, Wilder Cat. Oh, um, yes. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about Wilder and, and set up his story in your new book, for example. Well, he's, so it's... um. It's the it's the story of uh, so Wilder um, is uh, a a teenage boy who goes on holiday to Maine and there forms this sort of really you know the kind of friendships you 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 make when you're in your teens they're so passionate mm. well, they're stronger than love affairs in a way because um, you're not really equipped for love yet <laughs> but you're you know you're equipped for this sort of, um, kind of deep connection with another human being so he makes these this, these fantastic friendships with a boy called Nat and a girl called Harper and um, there is a terrible, um, uh, brutal discovery that ends that friendship and also changes their lives. And it's about how that reverberates down through each of their existences. Um, and also each uh, one of them tries to process it in different ways. Each person who's involved tries to tell the story. And it sort of becomes a question of ownership, like who owns trauma? Who has the most right to tell a story? It's a sort of question that writers are always, mm -hmm. always obsessed with, you know. Um, and the uh, as the, the book sort of continues with, with Wilder through, throughout his life. And at the end, he's trying to reclaim the story, which was stolen from him by someone he doesn't consider to have a right to have told it and made into a lurid, best-selling horror novel. So he retires to the same cottage where it all started and starts to write, you know, the, the real book mm. of his heart. But the book starts to escape the confines um, of the book and you're not really sure who's writing who at the end. Um, as I said, absolute nightmare to write. Um, but... <laughs> I, 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 you know. Yes, but so worth it. So worth it. Well, you tear each one from your chest with a bloodied fist, don't you? Um, <laughs> and this one for sure. This one was really stuck on. Really, there. really took some tearing. Um, no, honestly though, it was so worth it. What all that effort that you put in and the um, the nightmares you've gone through, it's <laughs> you've delivered an amazing book. Oh, so. thank you. That's really kind. Thank you so much. Um, and is the, is the genre, if you could, if we can even put your books in a genre in a good place do you think at the moment i oh horror yeah absolutely. yeah absolutely i i think we're, we're sort of i mean the english take horror much less seriously than the americans do you know you've got you've got a really robust tradition and this huge like a gold new golden age of horror happening um over in the states with people like stephen graham jones and paul tremblay and Car uh, carmen maria mercado and you know you've got this and gretchen falcon martin and um cassandra core and, and i could go on wow but wow. there 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 is this amazing uh this amazing kind of dialogue that horror has with 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 each other at the moment, which is really it's really incredible. Mm. I think over here, we, you know, horror has horror never goes away, mm. does it? It um, it's always there waiting. It's just uh, what differs is perhaps the amount to which publishers decide to notice it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's, um, but um, I think yeah, I think. I think the genre is in a really healthy state at the moment. I think you know we're getting more, we're getting more and more also diverse viewpoints. We're telling lots and lots of different stories. Um, you know that the there has historically been not say well problem is perhaps the right word after all. There's horrors had a problem with you know moving out of telling just a certain kind of story and also perhaps in discussing things like trauma and mental health. It, mm. It's it's not always been the most sensitive. But, and, and I think that the way that um, people are addressing those things now in, in the discourse are really exciting. And, mm. and, set, and, and um, uh, while being extremely, extremely respectful, also evoking 
truly the horror of those things. Yes, absolutely. So. I mean, I thought that one of them, it's, it's a weird thing, one of the most powerful things about, about Needless Street was at the end yeah. when you're talking about, there's a section that the people who haven't read it, the sec, section at the end which talks oh, yeah. about the real-life psychological issues yes, that affect yes. one of the characters. Yeah. And I found that terrifying. Yes. It made the book far more frightening <laughs> because I yeah. don't... I don't have a, a kind of belief in the supernatural. Yeah. If someone is struck by some supernatural thing, you know, it's titillating, but I'm not that fun. Yeah. Yeah. But if someone is struck down by a psychological force yeah, yeah, yeah. that could happen to anyone, yeah. that now that's frightening to me. Fear comes, so much fear comes from inside us. And, you know, there's that thing of, much just as much as the monster under the bed, what we, what we most fear, I think, is becoming the monster, because it's such incremental steps that you take towards becoming one, and it's only when you look mm. back on your footsteps and see how far you've come, perhaps, that you're aware that it's happened. And um, yeah, mm. I think that's that's really that's really astute. It's it's you know the re the real that, that emerges from yeah, within us. Mm. Terrifying. D do you think of yourself as as a horror writer? Would you say that? I would because I have such a. I would. I'd say. I'd say. I'm lucky enough that I think I'm. Sh I'm shelvable in that terrible, you know, booksellers <laughs> phrase. I'm shelvable in all sorts of places. <laughs> I didn't. I've never heard. Oh, that. Oh, you've not heard that before. God, now, yeah. you? Oh. I'm so shelvable. You're shelvable in a few places as well. Man. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm not, it, is that a good thing though? That I find that one of the my first book got shelved. Yes. In crime in a few places, and yes. it, it's not a crime book. No. And this one I know is going to be in historical fiction. Yeah. And to yep. be honest, I don't. I have, no real interest in historical yeah. fiction, and the next one is, is nothing like it. Um, yeah. I mean, do you find do you find genre helpful or unhelpful? I, for I you? Def well, I would defend you know with my life horror and it's well the kind of horror horror that I like to read and also write. I would defend I would defend it to the hilt because I think that it has when done right it's got its roots in empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. So you never like all. All horror is predicated on the connection that that connection we were talking about earlier between the reader and the writer. You should be as the as the as the writer. You're sort of holding out a hand to the reader and saying, you know, if I'm afraid of this, if you're afraid of it too, mm. come with mm. me. And no no other genre asks so much of a reader or asks them to go so deep and experience such unpleasant things. So it's so that's I think that's why people have a discomfort with it as a genre because. It's it it we're not particularly interested in dissecting or interrogating fear in, as in you know in the twenty first century or indeed in the twentieth we you know it's something slightly childish and schlocky it's something that we're sort of we should have grown out of and that's why you know I I I think horror is the only artistic space actually we have to interrogate fear mm. and see what mm. see what that looks like which is something we sort of shy away from as a, as a society really strongly. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, really. I mean, you know, I am absolutely no expert. But from a marketing perspective, purely, you know, on that basis, I yeah. think genres can be helpful to a publisher. But yeah. then also, Matt, I think to your point, um, I think it I think it probably is a good thing to be in different places, isn't it? You know, to be to span genres because pe people will come to those and then find you. As long as you get one on each. Show. Oh, yes, true. Yes, yeah, true. I suppose. No, it's, it's a very, I'm putting the positive spin on it. It's, it's, a, it's a very strange thing for me because I'm, I'm not used to it. Coming from yeah. music, you know, you, the idea yeah. that, that, that we would be kind of like put in this space. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you make a different kind of record, it would suddenly be there. It doesn't really, it, there's a kind of thread running through yeah. all of your work that, 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 
that that is more important than the, the kind of the framework of mm. it. I'm just I, what I, I guess I'm trying to get at is. I mean, I loved, I'd loved all of your work, and I, I, I love something like Little Eve, which doesn't feel like a horror story no. to me yeah. in any way. And I wonder whether whether it being in that genre yeah. is particularly helpful. It can, it can, horror is a really big word and it's a broad church. Mm. So yes, it can put people off, I think, because, um, you know, the same word can encompass everything from saw yeah, to, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah, to yeah. like Shirley Jackson. So yeah, it's, 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 a, it's not like all words to do to do with books. It's both extremely helpful and not helpful at all. Yeah, yeah. like it's. <laughs> yeah. well, I love that. I'm, I'm glad we got that sorted. <laughs> but but, what, but yeah. to bring it back to music, just very briefly, Matt. Um, once you know, once someone becomes a fan of a band or an author, you know, I'm thinking of all the bands and authors that I love. It, it sort of then doesn't matter where they sit once you've discovered them I think I'll just read yeah. everything they write and I'll listen to everything they put it so even if one takes a bit of a turn and does yeah. something different or is a very different genre to what perhaps the previous books have been I'll be yeah. there because I love that author and the writing I think so I don't yeah. know there's something in that maybe but, but. but perhaps it's it's just a slight kind of disappointment with with the industry with the, the fact that the books seem to be sold in different ways to a particular audience. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, yes. I, I don't I don't particularly want to be sold to a, a historical fiction audience. Yeah. Um, I'd rather just a general audience, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that kind of separation feels a bit unhealthy to me, especially when you get a book like Needless Street, which bursts out of... The genre, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of yeah, like yeah. it's it's just it's just a, a fantastic book. You yeah. know, it should be it should be on on every table. Yeah, and that's how I think we should be talking about books generally as well. Is like they're just really great books, so we read them. Yes. you know, it does, regardless of whatever yeah. genre they've been put in. But yeah. um, and obviously, you read very widely um, as authors and as book lovers, as do I. <laughs> um, always like to ask my guests what they've been reading recently and enjoying and, you know, shining the spotlight on a couple of other authors and books. Don't have to be new books either. Um, is there anything, Kat, that you've read and loved recently? Yes, absolutely. So um, most recently, uh, Laura Purcell's The Whispering Muse. Oh, it's great. Really? Laura was on a previous was episode she? of oh, this podcast. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So and it, your book and hers really resonated together for me in my mind because they've both got that they're both um, obsessed with the theatre hmm. uh -huh. uh, and um, and the, both of them captured a very very briefly for a very um, very ill-fated uh, portion of my life was an actor and it, I never read but two books that were so perfectly captured that that simultaneous kind of like agony and also <laughs> and also exhilaration yes, yes. of going on stage so um, those those two I think are sort of almost like they sit they're like related in some you know, DNA way. Um, also, uh, Mrs. March by Virginia Fato. I always recommend. This is a book which is um, marketed as as um, very, very high end literary fiction. It's horror. <laughs> it's fantastic, mind bending horror about a house, a New York socialite housewife who discovers that her novelist husband has based a character in his, on her in his latest book, which is a prostitute who is so um, pitiful and ugly that. Nobody will sleep with her. <laughs> oh God! Wow. And okay. Her mental sta her mental state unwinds from there. God. Okay. Yeah. That's Mrs. March and who's that by? Did you Virginia Fato. Virginia Fato. F e i t o. And she's she's absolutely wonderful. 
Um, wow. Yeah. And yet, um, as I said, Laura was was on a previous episode of this series for the Whispering News. And if you yeah. haven't read that one, Matt, actually, I think you no, I have, you might get no, something out of that. Not even heard of either yeah. of those, which is amazing. Um, and have you been reading much recently? Have you got anything that you want to? Oh, share loads. About? Actually, talking about theatre, there's a book called. Um, I never get the title of this right. When we were villains, oh, yeah. which is M. L. Rio, yeah. um, which is it's very similar to the Secret History. Mm. It's about a group of Shakespeare students in this kind of upstate, um, big mm. country house where they put on plays out by the lake and everything. One of them gets killed um, while they're all. All these productions are going on. So basically, it's a it's a murder mystery, but it's shot through with Shakespeare. It's Shakespeare all the way through. Mm. They all quote Shakespeare all the time. Yeah. And she's an I mean she she's an ex Shakespeare scholar and writer. Um, it's so it's so cleverly done. They have a line for every single thing. Um, the, the the two things that I've read recently are, are both old, but that I loved. I read. I thought I'd read Wide Sargasso Sea. Oh yeah. And I hadn't. Oh. I had no idea what in my head the book was. And I was, we were going on tour and I picked it up and I thought, oh, I'll reread this. And just <laughs> I got about 10 pages in and was like, oh, my God, how have I never read yeah, this before? Yeah, yeah. It's the most exquisite writing and it's the most raw writing I, I can think of. It was, and I've, I've worked my way through all of her books yeah. now. And, and they're all good which is yeah, something that, that really surprised me. And the other thing that I'm in the middle of reading, rereading, but um, it's, it still stuns me, is Orlando. Oh, yes. By Virginia Woolf. Wonderful. Oh, yes. And yes. every time I come to it or I come to the film or anything like that, which the film again recently, I was like, this is so ridiculously modern. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so ahead of its time. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's so clever and yeah. accepting, and at the same time, you know, it's tied up in all the problems that are involved, and it's yeah. it's it's just it's so it's so beautifully done. Yeah. Um, and I keep thinking that I want to steal it because I I don't think anyone's done something no. like it. It should have started a genre. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but it really hasn't. So everyone listening, I'm I'm going to steal it first. Yeah. So. yeah. Matt's no. got Matt's give, got that. By give, the way, give, give you me can't two. Take give me two years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fab recommendation. So that was when we were villains. Emma Rio. Mm-hmm. Um, Why sargas? Sargas. I can never see it. See, and that's Jean Jean Reese. And then Orlando by Virginia Woolf. Wonderful. The biography of Jean Reese mm. that's just come out. Oh yeah, is oh, yeah. extraordinary. Oh, fantastic! It's it's her life was so incredible, and the, the one one of the things that's absolutely fascinating about it is you realise how many biographies of writers you realise how how many of them were independently wealthy, yes. because there's never <laughs> any question of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. she writes for money. All yeah. the way through her life, she had like three husbands go to prison. Wow. She's constantly, constantly searching, writing for money. to live. Yeah, wow. yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's 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 really incredible. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Actually. Oh wow, brilliant! Who's it going to remember? I can't like, remember. I, it's, I think it's called "I Used to Live Here Once." Oh, I had one more. 
Bond, go on. Yeah, go on. Five by, um, yeah. Halle Rubin. By Halle Rubin, Rubenhold. Hold. Halle yeah. Rubenhold, yeah, which is about the um, the lives of the canonical five Jack the Ripper Jack the victims. Ripper victims. I've got that at home. God, it's good. Oh, it's really it's good. So, it totally re- reframes that entire that entire story for you. Um, and the most, I had cried at the end because the last chapter is simply a list of all the things each woman had in her pockets when she was found. Oh my yeah, it's absolutely God. stunning. And really and it ah, yeah. It's so interesting you bring that one up because um on a recent episode we had a, a guest pitch that as their book off. Oh wow, book. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and part of that pitch was that they said but even though I knew I was reading non-fiction, you know, yeah, I was yeah, reading yeah, about yeah. this it the book does feel a little bit like a story like you know you you're sort of swept up in the it she world. knows so much not just about like about how to write and, and you know how to you know research and write history but she knows so much about people mm. i don't know how someone knows that much about how people think mm-hmm. and operate because everything she doesn't twist the evidence she she just she inhabits it, and she let she she brings these people to life in an extraordinary way. The only other true crime, I would say, is true crime, mm. but the only other true crime that does the same thing is Michelle McNamara's "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," which is about the Golden State Killer. Right, I don't was, know that. But... Well, he she she died before finishing the book, um, and and it's it's sort of been argued that um, she was kind of his last victim, mm. but she was responsible for for joining up these three different perpetrators who've been. Yes, oh, you I know remember hearing yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this man who they eventually arrested this eighty-year-old um, man who'd been living in you know obscurity for twenty years for these series. I think t- I think twelve murders and something like eighty rapes. And um, due to her like relentlessly like bringing up and refusing to let the case go, but the, but she developed like it, living in that place traumatized her and she went to some dark places and she developed i think an addiction and she died before the book came out so the book so the in a way the for the last bit of the book is a bit of assemblage of true crime in itself because they had to put together all of her last notes and it's really extraordinary wow and just before we do the book off actually matt you mentioned the kirsten hirsch uh, biography, which was pitched several series ago as a book, oh, book, really? book. and it's I hadn't right. heard of it. I knew of her and her music, but I didn't know of the book. And after hearing the pitch, I had to go and read it, and it really is wonderful. Isn't She's it? great, I think. Yeah. And, and weirdly, it's got two completely different titles here. Yes, that's right. Oh, I've forgotten about that. It's called Rat Boy. That's right. It's got a long title in the States, it's isn't it? Paradoxical Undressing. That's it. That's, right. That's very different. Yeah, yeah. Rat boy. That's right. Paradoxal but, undressing yeah. is a, a, when you get in the Arctic, when you're just about to die of the cold. Oh, you take all your, you all take your clothes. You take all your clothes. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, why it's called that. Or, or why it's called Rat Boy. I don't know why I think. it's I mean, called I know Rat it's mentioned, but, yeah. you know. Um, but it's, it's wonderful. So there's another yeah. there's another recommendation okay. for you. My goodness, of... we're swimming in them. I know I'm coming um, away with such a good list. <laughs> I know. Mm. Actually, the guy Phil, every time every time I do one of these, I'm like, yeah. oh god, there goes there goes another <laughs> trip to my local. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But it is time now for the book off. And this is where each of you gets three minutes on the clock, uninterrupted if you want to use them to tell us about a book you love and you think we should all read. Bit of admin to get through before we actually get into the meat of it. We always say the person who's travelled the furthest gets to decide if they go first or second. So, But if you've come from London, Kat, have you? Yes. And you've come from London, yeah. as it were. Yeah. So, Hang on, where in London? Yeah, where in London? Um, Maid of Ale. Oh, you're even closer than me. So you've actually <laughs> so travelled the, the furthest, technically, Matt. Wow, that's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, that means you get to decide if you I'm go first let or Kat second. Go first. Okay, Aww. very good. Okay. See if I can pick up any tips. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, Kat, you get three minutes and it's uninterrupted. You don't have to use all three, but if you're still talking at the three minute mark, I'm either going to be honking you out or ringing, ringing you out at okay. the school belts. Now, that which one would you fair. like? Why don't you ring the bell? The honking feels a little. Like a little course, clownish, like, right? Well, the bell I'm, for you. I'm, Matt gets the horn, as it were. Um, <laughs> no. So I'm sorry, Matt. I didn't mean to bequeath <laughs> no. you the horn. You yeah. stitched him oh, right dear. up. Oh dear, never mind. But then he stitched you up because he said you have to go. For it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so here we go. Then uh, I'm putting three minutes on the clock, and just before we start it, uh, Kat, tell us the book you're putting forward. I'm going to uh, I'm going to talk about the ha- Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Okay, over to you. Uh, So The Haunting of Hill House, written by Shirley Jackson and published in 1959, uh, redefined, I think, and reinvigorated the ghost story for the 20th century. And it's got this uh, incredible tricksy self-enclosing structure. The opening paragraph and the ending paragraph are the same. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of labyrinth of meaning whereby... Um, all the meaning, all the wonderful things that you want to take from a haunted house story are incorporated, but it also somehow empties them out at the same way. It's got, uh, it's very hard and to put your finger on what exactly is so frightening about it, but I'm going to try. So <laughs> there's a description of the Gothic, which is a bit like, which is um, that it behaves less like a genre than like a virus, adapting and morphing at will. And I think this description really applies to the narrative of Hill House because it shifts almost under your eyes in terms of meaning. Um, it evokes this visceral fear in you. I've never been so frightened in my life. As I read it, my, the first time I read it, it was a Sunday morning, bright sunny day, and I I was seized like a cold hand was was wrapped around my heart. I I could not believe how frightened I was, but it's the way of writing um, that is so interesting and and powerful. The way she writes fear, so it's like a piece of music. It's scored. Um, and she uses repetition, language and rhythm. What she's doing, I worked out, it's so clever, is she's luring the tempo of your heart into the rhythm, into the exact rhythm she's describing on the on the page. So she's creating the tempo, a physical tempo that she's luring you into. And there's this, so it's got this amazing visceral power of fear, but it's very technical and very, um, very impressive. Um, 
uh, underneath in a way that doesn't require you to notice it. Then there's this incredible slippery contention at the heart of it as well, which is that no supernatural horror is quite as terrible as everyday life. Um, and particularly for Eleanor Vance, who is the who is the the protagonist and the and the uh, the heroine, if you will. So uh, she's not at all sure that being consumed and taken by Hill House isn't not worse than her, her Eleanor having to go back to her normal life and the drudgery of looking after her her sick mother. So you end this novel feeling that not only is Shirley Jackson a very strange person, but the world itself is much stranger than you ever knew. Um, it changed me as a writer and a person, I think, and I go back to it every time I feel dry or empty, and it fills me up. Oh, wow. You get, you get that anyway, even though you did it in yeah, 223. I, I mean, I, I think that should just win. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> Matt's already said it's won. That, there you, you go. You still have to do it. <laughs> oh, he's still contractually obliged to do it. I was contractually it. obliged yeah. to do it. Brilliant. I, um, I have to say, when you talk about reading it um, in bright sunlight, yeah. um, I, I, I did a book last year called England on Fire, um, and the publisher of that told me she was reading um, uh, Needless Street. Oh, wow. And she said she couldn't read it after the, after the sun went down. So it took her f- forever. Wow. She could only read it in the brief period after finishing work and before the sun went down because it was too frightening to read in the dark. Gosh. Wow. Which I think is... Probably something well, praise indeed. I would say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you for telling me that. Um, I love that pitch, and we'll just we'll talk about it again very briefly in a moment. Uh, But you can have a breather now uh, because the spotlight's (laughs) on Matt. And just before we set the timer off, Matt, um, what book are you putting forward, please? I'm going to put forward You Only Live Twice, um, by Ian Fleming. Wow, okay, three minutes on the clock if you want to use it to tell us about You Only Live Twice. Um, when I'm touring, I tend to take um, uh, books to read when we got off stage, because what happens is you don't want anything demanding, but at the same time I sit up for hours. So, you know, it's usually like kind of P.G. Woodhouse or something like that. And then I thought, right, I'll take the James Bond books because I loved them when I was a kid. You know, I loved any kind of series of things. So I took them with me um, and started reading them. And I came across You Only Live Twice, which I think we all think we know. We assume it's going to be the the hollowed out volcano, the gyrocopter, all these kind of things. And it's not. It's a deeply, deeply strange, quite modernist novel that if it came from John Fowles, people would be going absolutely nuts about. Basically, very briefly, um, Bond is set sent to Japan um, on a mission to close down a suicide island that has been set up. A Swiss doctor has turned up and has created this island that is full of ways to die. Uh, so it's got lava pools, it's got um, poisonous snakes, all the plants are poisonous. Uh, it, literally everything can kill you. And although he claims it's not there for suicide and he puts up, um, puts up fences and stuff, what happens is that the Japanese people in their thousands come to die there. Um, so... We assume that like James Bond book is going to have these this big villain, you know, like, like world altering villain. Um, this is it's an existential villain. 
The setting of it is absolutely incredible. I, I mean, Fleming obviously loves Japan and he writes really well about it. And I realise now that so many of my ideas of Japan came, came from the book. You know what I mean? Uh, it's the first time I heard about um, Japanese poetry and things and sake and things mm. like that. In fact, um, You Only Live Twice is Bond attempting to write a haiku. Um, which works in English, but apparently it doesn't work in Japanese. Anyway, that's that's where the title comes from. You only live twice, once when you're born and once when you stare death in the face. Oh, my God. Anyway, there's loads and loads of other stuff. There's the beautiful imagery, you know, they take dragonflies on pieces of string and stuff like that. But anyway, to get rid of the island, what Bond has to do is become a pearl diver where he falls in love with Kissy Suzuki, who is an Arma pearl diver. We learn all about how you dive for pearls. And then when he finally gets there, uh, Blofeld is actually the doctor. They have a final killing. He goes back, loses his memory, has to be taught how to have sex again. <laughs> by, by. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, I think that was a winner for me. There's so much going on in it. It's 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 a genuinely enjoyable book. That's amazing. It really is. I'm gonna. I'm again. I'm adding that to my list. This is a long list now, isn't it? It's Kat, so that we've long. Got running it's so long. But you know, Matt, what? I thought I thought um, Shirley Jackson had won it, right? When you went in, I thought he's you know. Yeah, 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 but I'm then glad. you come out with that. I know. Goodness me. I know. Um, I totally agree. Very quickly before we wrap up, to just go back to both of these books that you've mentioned, Cat. I love. The Haunting of Hill House. I love it, I love it, I love it. Good, um, yeah. I loved that you said it changed you as a writer, that yeah. you go back to it whenever you feel sort of dry and it just mm. does something to you. I love that. Mm. I love that, that a book can do that. I also loved how you described her writing like um, a piece of music, like she plays with that tempo yeah. and that it... I had never thought of it like that and as soon as you said it, it just completely yeah. made sense to me because I remember, yeah. yeah, reading it and how I felt yeah. going up and down and through and... That is exactly what she does, um, Matt. I I must admit, I don't I don't think I've read a Fleming. Mm, no. I might have read one Fleming, and I haven't ever t you know. But this is some of them. Yeah. Some of them are absolutely terrible. Yeah, a genuinely yeah. genuinely <laughs> yeah. awful, sexist, misogynistic, racist. Some of them are incredible. But this is just, like everything you were saying. I was like, what the, this sounds amazing. Oh, this you know, sounds amazing. It, if it if it was from anyone else, we'd be raving. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, like you said, it's this strange sort of modernist novel, and like the existential villain rather than the big bad baddie yeah. that we're used to in in Bond. And then just the sort of beautiful writing and setting of of the, the oh, Japan yeah. and everything. I mean, yeah, it I, sounds like a fever dream. Like, but yeah, yeah. But, but, but yeah. lots of his books are. Yeah, they're, they're genuinely strange. And yeah. as I said, I started rereading them. Yeah, there's lots of things. In one of them, someone tries to kill Bond by just putting him in a sauna. And turning it oh my out. god! <laughs> oh my god! And that, this that's whole, horror, like, isn't it? Like, yeah, that's awful. And just being like, "Oh, there's lava pool over there, poisonous plants, etc." Oh yeah. I mean, can, can um, I point out they strap him over the lava pool, obviously. Obviously, oh, of course, god. one must. Yeah. I um I can't call this. I mean, it's just genuine. I I love the Shirley Jackson book so much that I was like, "Oh, and and you did such a great pitch." But then Matt comes in with that. I know. I um. Do you know? Because I was can, so. Can I just say? Uh, I seem to be the only one who's read both of them. 
Yes, that's true. Well, which one? Which uh, one do you think it, should win? It should be Shirley Jackson. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a better book. Matt gets to call it because he's read both of them and he was one of the pictures. All right, we'll take Shirley Jackson home. But honestly, I'm going to go and read you any little Yeah, no, because me that, too. Based on that. That was one of the most surprising discussions, like, <laughs> things yeah. I've ever heard. <laughs> nothing you could have predicted about that at all. I had no idea what was coming. No, we didn't know what I'm was coming. And, and... Two fabulous pictures, two yeah. brilliant recommendations. In fact, all the books we've discussed um, today are fabulous recommendations. And here's two more for you. The Ghost Theatre by Matt Osman, which is out now uh, and published by Bloomsbury. And Looking Glass Sound by Catriona Ward is also out now, published by Viper. What an absolute pleasure to have you both here. Thank you. We could, I, honestly, we could sit for another hour, yeah. I think, and talk books. Um, but I've really enjoyed our time together. So thank you both. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you Been so brilliant. much for having me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.